Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the In The Know Property Podcast. We've been on a very, 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 very long hiatus from the In The Know Property Podcast. I'm going to blame it on Frank Raidi because he never comes to the office anymore and uh, I don't like recording podcasts via Zoom. So, in Frank Raidi's replacement, we have uh, our head of property strategy here at Henderson, Daniel Beadle, looking fresh as fuck. I am very fresh, my friend. <laughs> I feel good. I look good. It's a good time. Mate, very, very good. We've, mate, there's a lot happening in the, uh, in the property market at the moment. There's a lot mm. happening in... Let's just go back one step, actually. Property markets around yeah. Australia, not just property market. Um, and uh, don't edit that out either. Hernsey, keep that in there. Good, good man. Um, and, uh, mate, you know, a lot of uncertainty. The market's changed mm. dramatically since the last time we, uh, we did a podcast. And these are going to become a lot more regular now, these podcasts. They're going to be weekly. Every week we're going to just be here in the know up here in Newcastle, Telford Street. Um, so, mate, what we're going to dive in today is what's changed in the marketplace. Obviously, the elephant in the room, um, the interest rates, mm. you know, how to go about investing in this market. Um, because, you know, the reality is people are still making a significant amount of money regardless of what's happening, um, you know, in the macro economy. Um, and, mate, we're just going to really dive into it and just really enjoy ourselves along the way. Looking forward to it. All right. Well, let's uh, let's dive on in. Interest rates, the big Interest one. Interest rates. Well, mate, um, Mark Boris came out with a post recently on LinkedIn where he, he stated a rule of thumb with lending, which I wanted to share with everyone today, which is with the cash rate and the RBA's influence on the, obviously, the inflationary pressure we're experiencing, a way they combat that is to increase the cash rate, as we've seen, by a 05 of a percent. Now, Mark Boris said that for every 0.5 of a percent the cash rate goes up, serviceability comes off by about 5%. Yeah, and to put that in layman's terms, for every half a percent interest rate, interest rate we have, your serviceability decreases by 5%. So if you had a million dollars of servicing, you had an interest rate increase of half a percent, you now have a serviceability of circa 950. Mm. Which is quite substantial, right? Very substantial. You know, like um, I think something people don't, uh, look at uh, enough is you know there's a lot of buyers sitting on the fence right now and rightly so there's a lot of uncertainty out there for people who um, you know are not as bullish on the market as what you know someone like we are because we work in it every single day um, you know people are sitting on the fence they're waiting for the marketplace to in quotation marks bottom out or you know get cheaper mm. but what they're not taking into consideration is as the marketplace gets cheaper their buying power does not stay the same their buying power decreases so you're actually not picking up value in the marketplace your buying power is actually decreasing further than the property market is decreasing because with a half a percent interest rate increase the property market hasn't come off by five percent that's you an know? interesting point you've, you've brought up there which is the fact that prices don't drop as fast as our serviceability comes down what are you seeing out there in the marketplaces you work in and this is something i want to separate is you touched on this in your intro about markets and the different types of markets with the way that the the market is changing with interest rates what are you seeing out there in the different markets you do work in um, it's just been a it's been a huge sentiment shift right like people are and it's not just in property it's in, in a lot of things like there's a liquidity squeeze which means a lot of the liquidity that was pushed into the marketplace like the the, the, the economy i should say um over the last two to three years is now being pulled out of the marketplace with uh with the interest rate increases which means people are being more frugal with their spending they're you know really worrying about you know, whether they do buy the new car or whether they do go on the holiday, 
and whether they do upgrade the property or buy the uh, buy the investment. Or the um, new Range Rover. Yeah, all that. Or, uh, you know, downgrade from the GDR into the Range Rover. Um, and then you can't sell the GDR. Don't do that. Um, so, you know, what we're seeing is there's a sentiment shift. Yeah. A lot of buyers have pulled out of the marketplace. And with people pulling out of the marketplace, there obviously creates less demand. With less demand comes lower prices. Um, and it's a bit of a domino effect. Now... The A-grade stock in any market around Australia is still selling extremely well, regardless of the price point. If you've got the best quality property in a marketplace, then you're still getting Mm. a strong price. Now, you're not going to get a price that you would have gotten in September of 2021, but you're still getting a very strong price. The B and C and D-grade stock that has issues with it is, you know, being impacted dramatically if you've got a property on a main road if you've got a property that has shit sunlight if you've got a property that doesn't have very good privacy if you've got a property that um you know is is in a non-desirable pocket of a suburb Mm. these are the kind of properties now that are really feeling the impacts of you know a, a less competitive market and i think a lot of people forgot that last year a lot of people forgot about the fundamentals when buying property you know the market last year was not normal. That was a that was a um, um, a irregular marketplace. Um, you know, now we're into a more normal marketplace where buyers have more time to make decisions. Buyers have more selection. There is more stock coming to the marketplace and less buyers, which means you have more negotiation power. Um, and because of these things, if you haven't got a great property, you know, you, you're going to really, really struggle. Um, and that's why asset selection, and we've spoken about asset selection in another, you know, another episode. Um, asset selection is very, very important regardless of the market conditions. And I always say I'd much rather pay a, a fair price for a really good property than a good price for a very fair property. And you know, I think there was a lot of people last year and, and still right now looking for the bargain. But if you're finding a bargain, it's um, mm. it's probably not a great thing. That's a great point you brought up because I, I know from what I'm experiencing with clients at the moment, there are certain clients on the books that want a bargain. Mm. How far do they wait for a bargain? For example, prices have already come down, like you mentioned, with rates going up, buyers are now attracting from the marketplace. When do you think sentiment will change or when will be the perfect time or how do you time the market? So the perfect time is, is when it's perfect for the individual, right? There is no perfect time. What's perfect for me is not perfect for someone else and what's perfect for someone else is not perfect for me. The thing that will not change regardless of market conditions is what buyers like and dislike in a property. So if you have the capacity to buy right now, you have the cash flow on hand to be able to service the property for the medium to long term, you know, it's not going to put you in an uncomfortable situation, then you should be in the marketplace trying to buy a really good quality asset because a good quality asset today is going to be a good quality asset tomorrow. And who knows mm. if the price will be different. But what I do know is the price will be significantly different in five to 10 years from now. And it'll be significantly more expensive, not less expensive. Um, and, you know, the marketplace could get worse over the next six months or it could get better. You know, like this morning, um, you know, the, 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 the I seen Pete Wardron and I think a few of the big, big, a few of the big banks come out and said that inflation is, has already hit its peak. It's now coming off that's going to have a huge impact on what happens mm. to interest rates now. You know, the, the the cash rate projections that the big four were, were, you know, putting out to the marketplace are now being reduced by a significant amount, which means, you know, we always look, we always think things are going to be much worse than what they are. And we <laughs> yeah. always think things are going to be much better than what they are. That's um, actually an, an interesting point because I even uh, heard 
impulsive podcast with Elon Musk, and he was saying Musky, the big fella. that um, even the materials he's sourcing with his businesses, the inflation is starting to come down. He's seeing that um, he can order more mass product at a cheaper price. Yeah, and, and it was all manufactured. Everything that happened in the world over the last two to three years, whether it be growth in property, whether it be growth in building materials, whether it be you know a shortage of labor, um, it was all manufactured. It wasn't. Mm. It wasn't natural consequences, you know. So I think now the world is starting to normalize, and you know, I what I'm doing at the moment is I see there is a huge opportunity to buy. This is not for everyone. This is for me. Um, the uh, to buy sites like development sites that have been DA approved by developers who were not developer builders, mm-hmm. who they've gone and you know done feasibilities on a site 12 or 24 months ago. The DAs come through building building uh, materials have, have changed significantly the feasibility they did their project on is no longer what it is you know costing yeah. to build now and they're selling those projects building materials are not going to stay at the level they are at they are going to come back to normality and i think there is an opportunity there to be able to buy really good quality sites not have the lag time and the uncertainty of waiting for a mm. da or a cdc to come through and um you know you can make a really good upside on that so basically what jack's saying there is if you're not a developer and doing the build yourself, generally you want to see a 20% profit margin in the deal, which the way build costs have gone up, it's quite hard to find a site which has those margins. And I think if you, like you said, can partner with someone, you can source a site and the opportunity yourself and you can sell that off. That's maybe an opportunity for someone like you. Yeah, for sure. My, my, my obviously end goal is to be a, a developer, right? So for me now I'm looking at, there's a lot of sites coming to market that are DA approved and that's what takes the time and that's where the most uncertainty mm. is, is what can I actually do with this site and whether or not is it going to be approved. So you can buy sites now approved that stack up, you can start building immediately and um, you know, building co- you're building your feasibilities in at today's building costs. So mm. if it stacks up at today's building costs, then, you know, it makes sense. Uh, but that's going a little bit off topic. So you know, essentially in short, there is, there is no perfect time um, but you know, as I always say, I, I can almost guarantee you that uh, right now is going to be the cheapest property will be. Um, you know, if you're looking on on a five to ten uh, year horizon. If property is the cheapest it's going to be in that time frame, you're someone now who's seeing opportunity in the development space. Where does the opportunity lie for the average Australian investor? Um, the average Australian investor should buy a really good quality property within their realms of budget. Um, not try and be too smart for their shoes and reinvent the wheel. And they should have a 10 to 20 year time horizon. Like that is what the wealthiest people, that's what they do. And it's super interesting because Australians build the majority of their wealth through their owner occupier residence, not through their investment properties. You know, like, you know, my parents, great example. They tripled mm. the value of their owner occupier property over true, the last... You know, uh, I think they owned it for 11 years. The value tripled. Their investments that they had in their life, they give it a red hot crack. They got the wrong advice from someone and they were terrible. And that's how most people, most people's wealth is in their owner-occupy home when they retire, not their huge portfolios that people supposedly have. So, you know, if, if I were the average punter out there in Australia who has an owner-occupy home with a little bit of equity and, um, and I wanted to go buy an investment and my owner-occupy home has done quite well and it was in a decent location, go and buy something the same. Because you're almost guaranteed, you know the market because you live mm. there. Most people don't live in dog shit locations; they live in okay locations. 
you know, you're going to be comfortable because it's in your your, your backyard. Um, and people, you know, advise against this. Don't buy in your yeah, backyard. I was going to say, most people advise against this. Yeah, and, you know, there's a probably... You know if you live in a good area or a bad area, right? Like, yeah. you don't have to be a genius to work out yeah. if it's a good area or a bad area. Would if you, you live in a kids to school there? Yeah, a half-decent area, then I reckon you would almost be better off doing that because... Um, you know the market, like I said, you know what buyers want and what you, they don't want because you live in the marketplace and you understand the demographic. And, you know, you buy, if most people retire on their owner occupier home, why not have two of those owner occupier homes and make your retirement twice as good? Um, so that is, you know, that's what I do. If my parents bought two of their properties at the time that they bought it, their net wealth would be double what it is right now. Yeah. Um, and most people can do that. <clears throat> and that's a, um, an, interesting, an interesting point of topic because quite often we hear about, um, particularly in the market we're in, the investors approach where they're going to speculate the next new regional hot place to invest mm. or the area like Brisbane that's got the great yields at the, the moment. Hot new tip or, of the week. You know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, let's take a look at the numbers. <laughs> um, but no, in all seriousness, um, yeah, there's a lot of hype or not, there's a lot of movement towards chasing the high yielding assets particularly mm. now that rates are coming on what's your perspective on that someone who does have a lot of debt yourself? heaps of debt i've got more debt than any i reckon any 25 year old 26 year old in australia i'm putting my name to that <laughs> the most indebted 26 year old it's good debt though um so positive or negatively cash flow is not a strategy yeah. it's a tax outcome you know you, you can make something positively or negatively geared by how much of a deposit you put into the property. Yeah, exactly. You know, so you can buy a $500,000 asset with a 4% yield. If you put a 30% deposit down, it's probably going to be positively cash flow. You put a 10% deposit down, it's going to be negatively cash flowed. Mm. So it's not a strategy. It's, it's, it's an outcome of tax. That's a Frank Raiti line as well. It's exactly true. It's your um, finance strategy. Yeah. So, you know, regardless of whether it's positive or, or, or negatively cash flowed at this point in time, and let's just hypothetically say everyone goes in with a 20% deposit um, or they're working out the cash flow on the, you know, the gross asset value um it's 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 irrelevant right like it is it's absolutely irrelevant because the the thing that matters is not whether or not the property cash flows itself the thing that matters is that you're compounding the, the money that you put into the deal like that's what makes you wealthy if you pay off your debt that is not making you rich right like mm. paying off your debt is not the thing that makes you wealthy if you go buy an owner occupy owner occupy home today and it doesn't grow by one dollar and you pay that off you're not wealthy You've just paid interest to pay something off that hasn't grown in value. The thing that makes you wealthy is by that that property growing in value. That's the thing that makes you significantly, you know, so more the capital wealthy. growth, yeah, the growth of an asset. But it's not even the growth of the asset; it's the growth of the initial cash that you put into a deal. Mm. As a first home buyer right now, if you go into a property deal with a five percent deposit, so let's just say you put twenty five grand into a five hundred thousand dollar asset, you pay no lenders, mortgage insurance, and no stamp duty. And let's hypothetically say you rent it out and it washes its own face. That property grows by 10%, and let's say it takes two years, it grows at 5% per year. You've grown your $550,000 property, uh, the $500,000 property to $550,000, but you've grown your $25,000 investment now to $50,000, mm. right? So you- Massive. It's, it's, it's 100% ROI on your cash invested. To do that with Bitcoin, you know, it's people like fucking jump out of the window that shit's so exciting you know like for, for a company like um, SpaceX or Tesla or Google like for them to double their um, you know market cap or double the value of the company takes mm. 
years and years and years and years and years. Um, but in property, people you know don't understand that the initial cash invested is the thing that you know you need to look at from a compounding, and, and the returns are usually in the thousands or tens of thousands of, of percent. So, uh, I guess back to the question. I wouldn't be changing my strategy based on where the interest rates are right now. And I wouldn't be trying to project into the future, oh, well, interest rates are likely to sit around 5% because that's the average. Like, fuck the average. It's bullshit. Who knows? Like, yeah. interest rates have been at 18%. Interest rates have been at 0%. Who knows where they're going to go in the future, whether they're going to be up, down, sideways, backwards. Like, no one even knows what the fucking weather's going to do tomorrow. How do they know what, you know, the, the overall interest rate and, and the monetary system is going to do? But what we do know is that if we stay on a fiat money system like we've been on for however many years we've been on this monetary system now, as they print more money, asset values increase and, you know, history shows us that over the long term, regardless of what interest rates do, we have consistent price growth in good quality locations. You like that? I like that a lot. That Thank makes you. a lot of sense. The, um, the devil, devil's advocate to that is, okay, sounds all good and well, let's focus on the same strategy, high growth. How, what happens, you know, the reality is when things do change for people's circumstance, like you've got all this debt, how are you cash flowing this debt if the property is slightly negative? Get a second job, start a business, like you do what you got to do, right? Like that's the reality. Hmm. There's no perfect scenario. I cash flow my, my debt is relative to my income. Everyone's debt is relative to their income, right? So the banks are not going to lend you a huge amount of money if you haven't got a huge income. So you're only going to be able to carry the debt that the banks will allow you to carry. Even if you've got the fanciest structures in the world, you're across multiple lenders, you're with third tiers, whatever the private lenders, are, you're only going to be able to service a certain amount of debt. And you know, if, if circumstance changed, you would find the money. Mm. Like if your one job is not supporting you, you would get a second job or you'd start a side hustle or... It's, it's you know. a great, great point, isn't it? And it's something we um, that's very overlooked in property investing is, in my opinion, people look at property as a vehicle to build them wealth without first considering that you need to be able to service debt. Mm. You know, and, and I think people are talking about buying properties at a cheap price that yield well so your serviceability stays intact to buy the next properties. But the reality is people, the, the wealthiest people like yourself and, and those that have big portfolios have got there because they've made a lot of money. Outside of property. Yeah, property is property is great to compound money, but it's not a place to make money. You need to make mm. money through your job, through your business, through you know all the other avenues you can make money. And then property is a great place to store and, and multiply yeah. that money. Unless uh, it's in a development or... Yeah, well, the development's a business. It's yeah. not property, right? If you're investing in property, then you're buying and holding assets. Um, but to make the, the money, you know, compound, you need to be able to make the money first. Um, and look, if you buy one property and you're on an average income and you work an average job, you're still going to do much better off than not buying the property. But I think people are a little bit delusional thinking that I can earn 80, 80 grand a year and build a significant portfolio. It's just, it's not reality. Mm. Yeah. And At then, the moment. And then and again, it like it's, it's like you're, then you're just like you're trying to guess what's going to happen with interest rates. You're guessing what's going to happen with speculating the growth of these low performing assets. Yeah. And look, it's not about low performing and high performing. Like it's about... Like I said, the an, a good quality location is going to be good for the rest of time because 
unless all of a sudden we're amphibians or something like that or we like to live under the water or we go fuck you know what i wouldn't mind moving to uluru yeah we're not going to like change how we live where we live the things we like to do from amenities perspective so those good areas are going to become better and better and better over time um and you know like if you buy a good asset in a good area and um hold it for long term you'll you'll do okay what's your game plan with your exit strategy how are you gonna you a lot of people build wealth through property and they either have high cash flow properties that are highly taxed because of the taxable income mm. you have investors that will pull out the equity convert it to debt live off debt which will be a you know let's say a five percent interest rate versus paying the tax when they or the capital gains tax from selling the asset what um what are your plans with your portfolio and how, how do you benefit? Like you've built all this wealth with property. What's, um, you know, how are you living your lifestyle based on that? So property at the moment is not like a lifestyle driver for me. It's, it's the thing that allows me to buy more property. And then it's also, you know, it can also allow you to have working capital to be able to invest into other things. Um, my exit strategy will, will probably won't be from property. My exit strategy will be from business. And a lot of my net wealth will be tied up in in property. Um, so, you know, for the majority of the people, like you said, they buy property, they grow an asset base. Some people pay that asset base down to zero. Some people carry debt, sell down properties, and then, you know, use the, the, the capital gain that they've made to pay off the other debt. Um, I'll carry the same amount of debt for the majority of my life, like in terms of on, on each property. Like gotcha. as soon yeah. as, you know, a property grows in value and it's got available equity, that to me is dead money sitting there. Yeah. So I'll refinance that out and then go and leverage that into something else, whether it's another property, whether it's a business, whether it's buying a car, whether it's, you know, doing something with that money. Um, so it's just a vehicle. It's just a money generating vehicle for me to create capital that is not taxed. So I can go and use that um, somewhere else. Um, and, you know, as long as I've got a property sitting there, as long as I've got a business which is generating me cash flow, um, my later years in life, I'll, I'll have options essentially yeah very good what's um for someone like let's say they're 25 they're not got a portfolio the size of yourself looking to get in what's uh what is your best advice in terms of selecting the right types of assets um well i feel like we've we've covered you know quite a bit of it it's like don't try and reinvent the wheel don't try and do things that have never been done before. Like just look at, it's, the best thing to do is actually just have a common sense approach, I think, is just like look at what's done well in the past, what's consistently performed, what's a good area where, like you said, you'd send your kids to school, you wouldn't be scared to walk down the street at night, hasn't mm. got a bad connotation to it. Um, and buy, 90% of the time you buy a house in those locations, because most, you know, majority of dwellings in Australia are houses. Um, and put a tenant in it and go to the beach and drink beer or do whatever you do and come back in five years time and couple of coronas yeah you would have, you would have generated enough enough growth to be able to do something else i think having realistic expectations on like a portfolio growth you know there's very easy to go scroll your facebook feed your instagram feed and say jenny bought 10 properties in eight months mm. and fred did this and craig did this but what you don't see with these people is like the backstory to them you know like Craig and Jenny had inheritance of 700 grand, which they used for 10 deposits, you know, 
fucking, you know, Jenny had a business that was generating X amount of cash flow, which allowed her to borrow that much money. Um, you know, like so-and-so had guarantors for parents. Like the reality is if you're starting out, you've got a cash deposit and you're going to buy a property, it's not going to be, po- it's not possible to then scale a portfolio really, really quickly. Like I've been investing for eight years. My portfolio went from zero to four properties in five years and then nothing for two years which got me to seven and then last year i acquired heaps because i had strong growth in the marketplace was able to pull a lot out of equity had a strong year in business for servicing and i scaled my portfolio this year i probably won't add anything to the portfolio um like my actual personal portfolio i'll probably buy some sites with partners but um you know then i've got to wait for some growth to be able to Mm -hmm. buy again you know so you're going to have years of stagnation it's going to take time and it's been eight years for me now so, you know, if a 25-year-old started today and I was saying, hey, in eight years' time when you're 33, you could have this, um, you know, most people can't wait that long and they try and cut corners and shit like that. Cutting corners, huh? Mm, like, dr- like the drift king, you know? The drift king. Just straight off the track. Just drifting, drifting around. Mate, it's very true. It's, um, I think, like, even for myself, I've bought property, like, what, five years ago now, and it is such a slow uh you think you're going to build 10 properties in 10 years a lot faster than the reality of course um but it's compounding once you have one and then you buy the second the third becomes a little bit faster yeah and then you have three and then the fourth becomes a little bit faster and then you know as you've got a, as your your asset base starts to compound then things do happen much faster because mm. you're growing even though you're growing still you know say you're still slowly growing you're growing a huge asset base you know mm. that's why you look at people like warren buffett created 99 percent of his wealth after the age of 50 crazy you know it's because he'd done all of the the little stuff up until that point and obviously warren buffett's you know net worth is probably circa 100 billion us now but you know up until the age of 50 he was building the the foundations you know he might have been worth 10 million then 20 million then 40 million then 80 then 100 you know, and then that hundred goes to 300 and then it's a billion. And then that, like, you know, and then you, like you invest in something that does a 10X and then you go 10 billion. Like, and it just, you know, scales and multiplies. But you can also go the other way as well. And, you know, fuck up and have 100 million go to zero or whatever. Um, yeah, so I think what? it's just timing and, and understanding that <clears throat> property is going to be one vehicle for creating wealth, but the other vehicle needs to be yourself and earning an income and, and, mm. and you know, being able to continue to drive cash flow. So knowing what you know now, then where would you start? Would you start at the first asset? Would you start at the business? What, um, how would be, what, like, yeah, so I would, would I would still start at, like, considering as a first home buyer right now, you can be on an average Australian income and save up a 5% deposit really, really quickly. And you should be able to buy something by 2021 20, if you start working at 18, like the reality of that is. And then you can put a tenant in that property, you put 5% deposit down and like it can literally worry about itself. And then you've just got something there ticking along in the background. You know, I think what a lot of business owners do, especially for business owners that don't succeed in business is that all they have is their business. Mm. And if their business doesn't do well, they have no assets. So I think it's a combination of both. But you know, if you can save up 25, 30 grand, go buy a five to $600,000 property. If you've got to live in it for a little while to, for the first time, right? and if you do, if you don't put a tenant in it and then yeah, we'll concentrate on you know yourself like what's your career going to be upskill you know turn your hourly rate from 20 bucks to 40 to 80 to 100 to 500 to a thousand you know and that's going to help you build your wealth much faster mm. yeah i agree like i definitely know from my experience having that that foundation of properties definitely 
gives you a lot of confidence to make mistakes. Give you options. Spend money, yeah. Yeah, it gives you options. So I think for my, like that's been the best thing I've done was invest early. Um, but then you also realize through learning and cash flow and serviceability that, you know, you are limited by how much you can invest based on your borrowing capacity. Mate, it's, borrowing capacity is the biggest thing that nobody talks about. And I think we'll start to wrap up now. But again, back to the interest rate thing is like people are waiting for the market to, to decrease, um, but their, their serviceability is decreasing faster than the marketplace is. So mm. every time interest rates go up, your servicing comes down, you're buying a shitter asset. You know, it's not like the marketplace is decreasing in line with you. Yeah. You're decreasing by... The marketplace since the first interest rate increase has only decreased by 5% in Sydney. We've had three or four interest rate increases, which means your serviceability has decreased <clears> by 20. And like the big thing with Sydney at the moment, there's a lot of baby boomers who hold unencumbered or low LVR assets. So there's no real need for these vendors to be selling. Mm, you know, my parents, you know, like, my parents just sold the other day and they would have had like a you know, 20, 20% less than 10, probably 10% LVR on their property. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's going to play a massive role in prices dropping slower than, like you said, the serviceability. I need to stop eating bacon and egg rolls. That's what I need to stop doing. Eh? That's what property gets you. Just make you a big hungry motherfucker. <laughs> Time to get back on the marathons, huh? Mate, we need to. Well, it was very good. First episode back. Bit of in fun. The, in the know, property podcast coming to you next week. What's next week's topic? Next week's topic. Good question. What do you I don't know. Um, something we'll have to think about. And I think we finish off with a nice flamingo fact. What do you think? Do you know a flock of flamingos is called a flamboyance? A flamboyance. Flamboyance of flamingos. Fucking there you go, Jackie legs. That's your fun fact, folks. Righto, folks. See you next week.